0: We continue our passage through Mark. Uh, one of the reasons I like preaching through a whole book or most of a book is it makes me preach sermons I'd rather not. <laughs> and this is one of the sermons I'm sure I would have found an excuse for. And if those of you have got your Bible, you see that the very next chapter of the section is on divorce, which I'm passing over to Ryan to preach. <laughs> Ryan, look on Ryan's face, is priceless. No, I think, I think we might preach that one, Ryan. <laughs> So, uh, this is a challenging subject, and let's let Jesus' words sink into our hearts. Do you recognise this famous statue? Does anyone know the statue's name? The thinker, that's right. Have you ever wondered what he's thinking about? Why so serious? (laughs) Why so lost in thought? It's actually not a great mystery. All you have to do is to put the statue the thinker in his context. You see the artist Rodin had the thinker as the centrepiece of a much larger work. And though we often see the thinker in isolation, originally it was in the context of this larger work. And when you see the larger work, the penny drops and you have no doubt in your mind to know what the thinker is thinking about. So what's this larger work called? Well, the larger work is called The gates of hell. That's where the think that's the original thinker. All the other ones you've seen are copies. The gates of hell. Now what happens is that all the other elements on that statue, on that on that frieze, whether they are human or demons, are all suffering the agonies of hell, except for the thinker. Because the thinker has placed himself for whatever reason at the gates of hell and do you know what he's thinking about? (laughs) He's thinking about hell. There's no doubt. And that's what we're going to do as well today. Jesus is going to take us to the gates of hell and then we are going to ponder and linger and think what that means. So we better pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to this challenging subject, this topic that we'd rather avoid, we pray that your Holy Spirit will move in us, transform us. May we hear the words of Jesus and not try and brush them away, and may we be drawn closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. One day, a man finds himself at the gates of heaven, and he's very much surprised because he'd been avoiding... God all his life. <laughs> and he had thought, well, if there is a heaven, that's probably like a tropical paradise with good health, good friends, and great contentment. However, it turns out that heaven is much, much more than this. But there's a catch. Well, a catch for this man anyway, because heaven is all about God. God's presence everywhere. You can smell it and taste it and see it and feel it. It's there 24-7 in a way that is much more direct than here on earth. There are times when we glimpse the presence of God in creation. Maybe at the birth of our first child. Or when our beloved daughter marries. Or in a quiet time or in worship. There are times when we sense the presence of God. But in heaven... It's God all the way. And so the man is feeling very uncomfortable. So he talks to the gatekeeper and said, Are there any other options? You see, I don't much care for God. Is there any place where God is not? And the gatekeeper replies, Well, yes, there is a very small place set aside where there is absolutely no presence of God. Take me there, said the man. And he went. C.S. Lewis sums it up really well, sums up with what many Christians feel when he wrote this, there is no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than the doctrine of hell, if it lay in my power, but it has the support of scripture and especially of our Lord's own words and it has always been held by the Christian church and it has the support of reason. You see, no matter how we try and shuffle this awkward topic aside, Jesus will not let us. For Jesus has more to say about hell than any other person in the Bible, by a long shot. And this is exactly what we find in today's passage in Mark. In Mark 9, Jesus takes his disciples to the very gates of hell, and then he says, consider this. Think about it. Ponder it. And so we will do the same. I'll start off by giving you a bit of a background of what hell is, as we see from our Mark 9 passage, and then we'll look at three things. We'll look at how Jesus takes the disciples and us to the gates of hell, and how fearful that is. But then we will see the good news, because Jesus does not leave us at the gates of hell, but grabs us by the scruff of the neck and draws us back, if we'll let him, and the third thing we're going to look at is how we can stop retracing our steps back to the gate of hell. Because that's the inclination, inclination of many of our hearts. So three things, and a fourth. The first thing, what does Jesus tell us about how hell in this section? And then uh, the gates of hell, the good news, and going on so we don't retrace our steps. So, Background. In this passage in Mark that was read just a moment before, you may have noticed that Jesus refers to hell three times. Hell in the English, but in the original language, the word for hell here is Gehenna. Gehenna, and Gehenna is an actual place. Just south of the city of Jerusalem was a valley with a very dark, dark, absolutely black history. Listen to God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah about this valley. Jeremiah thirty-two thirty-five, They built high places to Baal, that's a god, in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. Hinnom is the Jewish word for Gehenna. To sacrifice their sons and daughters to Molech, though I never commanded it, nor did it enter my mind that they should do such a detestable thing and so make Judah sin. Isn't that horrific? In those days, way before Jesus' time, the Israelite king at the time would encourage people to sacrifice children in the valley of Hinnom. In 2019, a good friend of mine, Ben, and I were in the hill country of Andhra Pradesh, India. We were on the village on this this bluff overlooking a wide, expansive valley. The jungle just seemed to go on and on and on into the haze. And a guy indicated about midpoint in this vista a sort of small rise, and said that village there practiced child sacrifice up until the 1970s. Imagine living in a village nearby. You would lock your children up at night, which they did. And then I asked, how come it stopped? And he said some brave Indian evangelists went into the village and they shared the gospel, not once, but over a period of months and months, risking their own life until the gospel broke through, and that village stopped sacrificing children in the mid-70s. As what had happened in the valley of Gehenna, the practice was stopped. The good King Josiah came to power, and he thought, I want never this to happen again, so I will desecrate the place, and he turned that valley into the city's rubbish tip so that no one would offer any God to anywhere in that place. It became the refuge tip for Jerusalem. So in Jesus' day, if you had a donkey and it died, ponder that as you will. If you had a donkey in your backyard and it died and you had no car or truck, what would you do with it? Well, if it was in Jerusalem, you'd get a handcart probably and you would get some friends to manhandle the dead donkey onto the the cart and you would make your way just outside the city to to the Valley of Gehenna. And as you got closer, you'd be able to smell death and the taste of decay would be in the back of your throat and your eyes would start to smart from the acrid smoke rising from the fires that never went out, that continually smoldered. In fact, it was said that in the right conditions, the smoke would blot out the sun. And there'd be rats and carrion birds, maggots feeding on decaying flesh. And as you were going through to discard your donkey carcass, you would probably remember the children murdered there in years past. And at every start of every sound, you might wonder if that was, well, evil lurking in that place. What an awful, awful, awful place. And so by Jesus' day, Gehenna the most horrible place that a Jewish person could imagine, Gehenna became the word to describe hell, the final eternal destination for all those who reject God and his ways. And so in our passage, did you notice that when Jesus talked of hell, three times, twice he mentioned fire, fire that could not be quenched, thinking of the rubbish tip, and once he mentioned the maggots that would never die, thinking of the carcasses in Gehenna, being maggot infested so this was very real very visceral the disciples did not have to imagine hell in the way that we do and jesus takes the disciples to the very gates of gehenna and he does that in three ways and we pick up the passage in chapter 9 verse 43 the first way that jesus takes us to the gates of hell the first step is verse 43 if your hand causes you to stumble cut it off it is better for you to enter life maimed with two hands than to go into Gehenna, where the fire never goes out. If we grasp onto something that we know is outside God's word or by underhanded means, whether it be money or power or promotion or sex, advancing our own ways by grasping, we are in the danger of going to Gehenna, where the fire never goes out. And Jesus says this is the first step. That will take you to the gates of hell. Do not grasp what is not right to be grasped. That is outside God's will. That's the first step. The second step is in verse 45. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It was better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet be thrown into hell the second step that takes us even closer to those fiery gates is when we walk towards temptation or if our feet take us away from doing good if we run towards sin or run away from god's will we are in danger of being thrown into eternal hell now a place prepared it says in revelation not for us but a place that was prepared for the devil satan and his rebellious angels That is the place that we are in danger of if we walk, use our feet, walk into sin. That is our second step towards the gates of hell. And the third step, the final step that brings us to the very threshold is in verse 47. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, verse 48 where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. If our gaze, if our eyes linger on what is lustful or what causes envy or sees the worst in people, puts ourselves above other people at the expense of others, then we are in danger of maggots internally consuming all that we are and where the fires are not quenched. This is the third step using our eyes to gaze upon sin and brings us to the very threshold of the gates of hell. And as we stand at the threshold, Jesus' answer is so extreme. (laughs) Do you see what he wants us to do? He's giving us a choice. Do you want to cross the threshold of hell? And we're saying no. And then he says, well, cut off your foot. Do you want to go into the fires that never cease? And we say no. He says, gouge out your eye." Do you want eternal separation from God? Well, cut your hand off. And it's shocking. (laughs) And Jesus is trying to get our attention with exaggeration and hyperbole. And how literally are we to take this? Once we get over the shock, we know. We know that the condition for getting into hell is not being maimed or blind, (laughs) don't we? It's not like you go to the pearly gates and everyone you see has no eyes, hands or foot. <laughs> Jesus is demanding our attention. He's taken us to the gates of the hell and he's not saying, well, there it is, go away. He's saying stay and think about it, just like Rodin's statue. Pause here and think of the consequences. And what are we to do? On one hand, we've got the fire of hell. the other hand, we have Romans for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No wonder the thinker is looking so serious. And the more I pause and think, the more I realise I cannot escape the fire that is never quenched and the worms that never die. The more I pause and think, the more I realise I need a rescuer. (laughs) I need someone to keep me from the gates of hell. And this brings us to the good news, the wonderful news, the amazing news that we don't have to be blind or maimed to escape hell. For God, God has sent a rescuer who would walk through the gates of hell on our behalf so we need not. Have you thought of that before? Jesus walked through the gates of hell so you need not. is our rescuer now let's look at three parts to this rescue first of all it's sin that drags us to the gates of hell isn't it so who has the power to forgive who has the power to forgive well Mark chapter 2 we go way back to Mark chapter 2 and we remember there were four friends who had a friend who was paralyzed and the crowds were so big that they four friends couldn't get to Jesus do you remember what they did Bit DIY, really, isn't it? Home renovation. Took him up onto the flat roof, dug a hole, lowered the man down. And what was Jesus's words? It wasn't, be healed, was it? His words were, your sins are forgiven. What a funny thing to say to a paralyzed man. And of course, the religious leaders were appalled. And they were thinking to themselves, this is impossible, this man blasphemes. Only God can forgive. And do you know they were 100% right? Those Pharisees, they knew their Bible. They were right. Only God can forgive. Which means what happens next is so amazing because Jesus, knowing what they were thinking, says this in Mark chapter 2 from verse 9, which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or say, get up, take your man and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And as the man rises up and walks, he walks away from the gates of hell. You think he's just walking out the door with a spring in his step. Well, you're right. But because his sins are forgiven, that man is also walking away from the gates of hell. Because Jesus is God, God's only son, he has the power to forgive he has the power to be our rescuer but will he I mean will he rescue us he has the power to he rescued the paralyzed man but what about you and I well again staying in the gospel of Mark let's look at this wonderful verse chapter 10 verse 45 again the context briefly the disciples are arguing about who is the greatest again And Jesus rebuffs him. But notice the end of this sentence that Jesus says. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You see, we're captive to sin. And unless someone pays the ransom, we must cross the threshold into those fiery gates. Unless we're ransomed, hell is our destination. No exception. And so here we see the good news breaking through. Jesus willingly paid our ransom, but he didn't use money, did he? He didn't use gold or silver or, or Bitcoin or anything else. He paid our ransom by what? By his blood. We see this wonderfully in Revelation 1, 4, the third part of our rescue from the gates of hell. Wonderful passages. Love this verse, these two verses. Jesus Christ, who is the, Faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, a ruler of the kings of the earth, who, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Isn't that amazing? Jesus loved us so much that he grabbed us by the scruff of the neck and dragged us back from the gates of hell because he loves us. And it cost and it cost him his blood. And this is the good news, the wonderful news, the very best news of the gospel, isn't it? What we rejoice in. Do you know there is no good news unless there's bad news? There's only mediocre news or average news. So if you could explain the gospel in the absolute clearest way, the good news of the gospel, to someone who does not understand the bad news, then it just becomes, oh, oh yeah, Jesus did that not until we understand how desperate our rescue is that the good news becomes great and wonderful news in our lives. However, with this good news in our life, we must be careful that our feet, our hands and eyes do not drag us back to the very threshold we've escaped. So this brings us to uh, going strong. How can we go strong in our walk with God so we are not pulled back towards the fiery gates well if it's our hands and feet and eyes that take us to the gates they can also keep us away so we're going to look at three verses that help us to uh, use our hands and feet and eyes to keep away from hell and walking towards heaven and so first of all our hands instead of grasping at sin what do we grasp philippians 2 15 and 16 then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Instead of using our hands for sin to grasp what we should not, we use our hands to grasp the word of life. So we read the Bible. We we'll listen to it if we've got it on an app on our, our phone. Uh, we sit under good teaching. Memory verses. We hold on to the word of life and of course jesus is the word of life so we also hold on to jesus how through his word so that's the first step for keeping out for keeping away from the gates of hell but what about our feet how can we keep our feet taking us closer to the gates of hell simple verse james 4 8 come near to god and he will come near to you come near how do we come near with our feet And then we pray. That's how you come near to God. Through God's word, we come near to God. Through serving each other and those outside the kingdom of God. By serving, we come near to God. By being obedient, when we read scripture and the Holy Spirit nudges us to do something, either something we quite enjoy or maybe something we don't want to do. Obedience. That's how we come close to God. So, our hands, our feet, what about our eyes? How can our eyes keep us from drawing to the very gates of hell? Hebrews 12, 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and scorned its shame. Why did Jesus endure the cross? Why did he scorn its shame? To pay our ransom to keep us from the gates of hell. For Jesus died on the cross, was punished punished for our sin and walked through the gates of hell so we need not. Isn't that an amazing way of thinking of the cross? There's lots of different ways to look at the cross, Passover sacrifice and, and, and various other things as well. But here's one way to fix your eyes on Jesus, to imagine that Jesus, when he died, he went to hell, he went through those fiery gates on our behalf, so we do not we do not need to go. Now we need to make that faith commitment. If we do nothing with Jesus, then the gates of hell are our option. But if we cling to Jesus, if we use our hands to cling to Jesus, if we use our feet to go towards him, if we use our eyes to fix our eyes upon him, then we are rescued and kept from the fiery gates. So what have we looked at today? Let's bring the message to a close. Well, we've... We've actually joined Rodin's sculpture. You can imagine yourself sitting like that on the chair. I won't get you to strike the pose. (laughs) But that's what we've done. We've done what Rodin's thinker has done. We've sat at the gates of hell. Jesus has brought us to the gates of hell. We didn't particularly want to go. And when you came to church this morning, this is the last place you probably thought you'd end up. (laughs) But Jesus has brought us to the gates of hell and says, think about it. Don't brush it aside. For the ultimate destination of every human is to pass through these gates without exception, without hope, eternal fire that does not go out and where the worms, the maggots do not die. And this would be just disastrous news except the good news of the gospel breaks through, the beauty of the gospel, the wonderfulness of what Jesus did because Jesus not only has the power to forgive but he paid the ransom for us he paid the toll if you want to use another illustration he paid the toll so we did not have to go through that gate but that we could be set free it cost him cost him his everything cost him his life cost him separation from his father his heavenly father it cost him his blood but he gladly paid it he gladly went through the gates of hell so we need not and this is why with joy we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. This is why we gladly worship and give him the glory. This is why we lose ourselves in wonder before the crucified but risen King of King, Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. For the gates of hell are a fearful thing and don't let any preacher or anyone try and minimize that. <laughs> they are a fearful thing. So let that fear lead us to our heavenly father where he will remove that fear hold us in his arm and wipe every tear from every eye this is the good news of the gospel let's pray heavenly father this has not been a comfortable 20 minutes or 25 minutes I wonder how the disciples were squirming when Jesus took them to the very gates of hell. And some of us have too felt so uncomfortable. However, Lord, we know in our heart of hearts we deserve it. We deserve to be locked on the other side. And So we're so grateful that Jesus paid the ransom. We are so grateful that you opened our eyes and, and softened our proud hearts to hear the gospel and to follow Jesus and we pray that we will know Jesus more and more and that we will bring you great pleasure as we turn our back on the gates of hell and look to walk with alongside Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.